Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Eric Lee, who's the co-founder of KarmaCheck. Eric, thanks for being on the show today. I'm super excited to be having this conversation with you. To kick things off, could you give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the staffing industry? Hey, David, it's great to be here. I am a tech entrepreneur by history. I've been working in tech uh, ever since I got into my professional life. I've started a number of businesses. Uh, the most well-known is where I was one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. And that really got me into the people business. Definitely stuck. And that's how I actually got into the staffing industry. I mean, being the co-founder of LinkedIn is a pretty great achievement. How did you guys come up with the idea? Kind of how did LinkedIn come to be? Well, it was uh, many years ago, you know, in a previous internet era, the ones who started LinkedIn were very interested in a certain problem around how do we keep in touch with our network? And being from Silicon Valley, there's a lot of job mobility, people moving around jobs every you know, two to three years. You want to keep in touch with those people who you enjoyed working with. And so we really built LinkedIn as a way for us to keep track of our network. And fortunately, we found that a lot of other people have had interest in that same capability. That's incredible. And today for our audience, we're going to dig into Karma Check and talk more about that. But first, I want to dig a little bit into the kind of the LinkedIn side of things. What were some of the obstacles that you had with building LinkedIn and kind of things that you had to overcome over the years? Well, believe it or not, there was a point in time, and this is when LinkedIn started, when uh, the internet was not a sure thing. We had just come off the end of the dot-com bust when the internet got too hot with all sorts of wild ideas, you know, which uh, some of them worked, some of them didn't. There was really a, kind of a doubt as to whether the internet was going to matter to you know everybody. And so we were starting during those times and I think we were part of the wave of companies that tried to restore some value, try to bring some real value to the internet and create something useful for people. I mean, social media has evolved so much. And since LinkedIn has become the go-to for everybody in business, I think the amount of time that I spend on there on a daily basis, the amount of advertising budget I spend on there, where do you kind of see the future of social networking going? Well, that's a really uh, big and broad question. You know, LinkedIn today, I think has close to billion people on it and uh, some of the other 
sort of networks, social networks especially, have a lot more than that by multiples. So it definitely gets used. And I think one of the issues that I've been tracking is how do you have authenticity and also kind of this veracity in terms of people and their identities and especially kind of content that they put on these platforms, whether they're true or not. And so these days, there's a lot of incidents of misinformation that gets reported. People certainly rely on that information for their news. And so it's really important to, I think, fix some of those problems. And I believe that where these kind of platforms are going is really trying to bring a degree of truth and greater trust to these platforms so that some of the um, controversies and some of the toxicities can really be uh, mitigated on these platforms. I think that's a great point. I always think about when I talk about the Facebook and social media as a whole, I feel like people think that we've had the internet and social media for a long time. And I feel like we're still in like the gold rush days where we don't really know how to regulate it. We don't know how to handle how it's being used. And I feel like 50 years from now, we're going to have look back and be like, man, you could do anything back then. You could post anything, you could promote anything. And I feel like we're just kind of at the beginning stages of having to figure the, all of that out. Do you have any ideas on where you see that going in terms of how trust will be managed or the ability to identify and remove things that aren't actually facts? Well, that's a great exercise, isn't it? I do agree that we're in the early days, despite some 20 years that these platforms have been around, but we're still very much figuring it out. And I think one thing that a lot of the platforms are trying these days, which I believe point to the solution, is this idea of verifying the people who participate on these platforms, the identity of these people. And so the blue check mark exists on Twitter, the verified profiles. I mean, it's important to know when you see a piece of content on one of these platforms where it's coming from. And if that person or even that organization behind the piece of content is some kind of verified or has a good reputation, then maybe you can trust the information that they are producing a lot more. Yeah. And I felt like that was moving in the right direction. And now it's just $8 a month for anybody to be blue check marked, right? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you uh, can be uh, anyone verified for $8 a month. That's right. So I think that uh, this kind of segues good well into talking about Karma Check and verification. And could you tell us a little bit about what does Karma Check do and how did you come about this idea? Well, Karma Check is a background check company, and we are in the business of verifying people's credentials before they get some kind of employment opportunity, be it full-time or contingent. And yeah, we're very much part of that trend and interest around providing verifications around identities for employers in this case. And what is it about Karma Check that's different than other background check software that's out there? Well, one of the things that we discovered when we first started the company, which was just a few years ago, was that you know there was an opportunity to bring something new and innovative to this background check space. So background checks have been run for a long time by you know, many different employers. We wanted to make the process a lot friendlier, and we also wanted to make it a whole lot faster and more efficient. So compared to some of the other solutions out there, we started with kind of technology foundation and automated a lot of processes so that such that they go faster, efficient, and maybe in some ways even less expensive. And so we've seen an opportunity to really bring verification not only to existing use cases, but also new ones where verification hasn't been used before. And one of the things that I remember reading about Karma Check is that you guys are blockchain focused. Is that the foundation for it or is that a differentiator for you guys still? 
Well, we are very much uh, inspired by the possibilities of blockchain. I know that's been very hot the last few years. And so the ideas around how people can control their own background checks and have their own wallet of credentials that they can use in most places, those are some ideas that certainly inspire us. Awesome. And what are some of the, uh, either the verticals that Karma Check works in, if you have specific verticals and or specific use cases that you have for staffing agencies? Yeah. So we uh, definitely focus in the staffing scenarios because we're built on very efficient technologies. We often support high velocity hiring use cases, and that tends to show up in staffing scenarios and contingent workforce platforms. So we work today in a variety of different industries, but we've recently found that healthcare has been very interesting because of some of the trends recently, particularly with the pandemic, there's been an increased need for staffing in healthcare. And so that often means automation and scaling with technology. And uh, we've done quite a bit to help support healthcare use cases. So, I mean, I know you said you're being technology first, having the automation in place are some of the key things in terms of what makes you guys different from other background checking softwares. And I, I think I saw you guys are pretty involved and integrated with a lot of ATSs as well, but is there anything else that kind of sticks out in terms of what you guys do that's different from kind of the traditional process for background checks? Well, there's a lot of things that are different in the details of it, but one of the things that we really believe is we want to provide a great experience for the candidate that is a lot of times the traditional software caters to the employer and they are the primary customer, but the candidate is becoming an increasing part of this whole equation. And so we have a very easy candidate experience where they can enter their information and get done very quickly and they can monitor the status of their checks right within that mobile portal. So we've spent a lot of time in creating a real quality candidate experience and uh, getting them involved as well. And we believe, you know, in the coming years, the candidate is going to be more and more central in this whole experience. And so we need to uh, make sure that we uh, bring them into the fold. The folks on the candidate experience obviously makes sense. I've had uh, Andre Maletti was on this podcast a, a little while back and talking about how if the experience is not similar to an Instagram or an Amazon, like the drop-off for candidates going through the flow, if they have anything that, any hiccup that the abandoned cart is a real thing for staffing agencies as well, as candidates look at every interaction the same way they would for any consumer product they're buying. One idea that I, and this might be a novice question when it comes to background checks, it's not something I know a lot about, but the Healthcare Staffing Summit, I don't remember who was talking about this, but it was somebody on a panel talking specifically about like, do you think there's a world where a candidate could own their background check and then that's theirs and they are bringing that to the different employers? and how would that world work? Because at some point, an employer is probably going to pay for the first one. <laughs> Who pays for it and how does that idea work? That's a really exciting vision that we subscribe to as well. It makes it go faster for everybody in the equation. So whether it's yep. the candidate or the employer, you know, being able to reuse some of that past data is really important. And I think that there can be some interesting incentives that get put into this whole process whereby whoever pays for it first maybe benefit from creating that information later on. So for example, if somebody else needs to use that information, the original party can get compensated and so on. Interesting. There's even a scenario where candidates, we've seen some of this already happening in the market where the candidate pays for their own background check 
And as a result, they can separate themselves from the competition of fellow candidates. Oh, uh, that's cool. Just not like up. There's some really interesting, innovative models around monetization happening out there around this stuff. It makes sense because it seems like such an inefficient thing when you think of somebody going to apply for 10 jobs, they get 10 interviews, and then they go through, I don't know, say five background checks, exact same background check, exact same information paid for five times over. A lot of inefficiency there, and it feels like there should be some way to save that money and just make it better for everybody. I've never thought about the candidate. I was like, how would you get a candidate to pay for that? There's just something that is somewhat interesting to me. I actually, at one point, looked into starting a job board. This was like seven or eight years ago where candidates could pay for a guaranteed interview. And this was back when finding a job was hard. <laughs> not, this would not work now. But we actually did some market research on that and found that people in some industries were actually would be willing to pay for a guaranteed screening to know that it separates themselves out. That's a cool idea. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Are you guys doing that currently where candidates can be passed from where they have one background check that could be used multiple times? Does that exist as a model today or is that a future state? Yeah, we're starting to do that today. And we really do believe in the long-term vision you know, of that. And so we've seen candidates coming you know, through our system multiple times, often from different employers. And we've encountered them and we're able to create more efficiencies simply because they've been in the system before. So even simple things like having to re-enter their personal information to get a background check started. They don't have to do that. And again, if we've got their information saved from some other previous run. And so you can imagine that, for example, this information can be used on a profile as a badge to show that you know some of the information has already been verified. So it does kind of get back to the idea of the blue check mark that's yeah. verified you know, results of certain candidates. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. If you're applying for something, it's like, oh, I've already got this. That moved me to the front of the line. You don't need to take this step and I'm, I can go to work today. That's pretty cool. And I was just going to say, you know, employees, I think really appreciate that because they're trying to move very fast. You know, often their customers demand talent very fast as well, especially in the case of staffing companies. And so the ability to have candidates that don't have to wait to get through a background check is highly valuable. And so there's win-win on both sides of the house. Awesome. And what size, and in, in terms of where Permachek's at, what size of organization are you? What's your growth rate look like? We've had a lot of interest from uh, staffing companies, which has you know, been our focus. We're working primarily in two spaces these days, the mid-market kind of companies that are growing and they're trying to grow to become bigger companies and they need something fast. They see a lot of value in us. We also work with enterprise customers that are trying to work at scale and create kind of an efficient operations internally to get candidates through. We've had some really good success there as well. So hopefully those two continue to be areas that we will see a lot of success in. Awesome. We're going to kind of jump to the next section of the interview. That was a really great background on Karma. Kind of looking at tech in your experience, one of the things that I look at LinkedIn, obviously such a cool platform that you built. Now you're in doing Karma Check and I know you've been involved in other startups. What are some of the lessons you've learned over the years with working with some of the biggest companies in tech? And just as an entrepreneur, what are some uh, lessons you would share with the audience? Well, there's so many lessons. I really believe that each experience has been different. I think it's really important. You know, I started as a technology guy and always interested in sort of interesting technical challenges. But as an entrepreneur, you learn very quickly that there has to be an applicability to the technology that you're using. So paying attention to what uh, the market's interested in, uh, whether you're solving a real pain point, 
And timing, frankly, is also very important. It's probably the hardest thing for any entrepreneur to predict is to get the timing right. Often entrepreneurs are optimists. They see the future before others do. So they're uh, usually a little bit more early than the rest of the world. And so it's important to have an appreciation for where customers are, you know, make sure you're timing it as well as you can. Absolutely. And with that, some lessons learned there, what are some of the challenges that you see? I know there's been all these layoffs and there's a lot of kind of uncertainty still in the market right now. What are some of the challenges you see facing the tech industry today? Well, the last few years has been, you know, I think a really explosive time for tech companies in general, and they enjoyed growing in the market. They've enjoyed getting a lot of investment. And this is sort of a natural part of the business cycle where there's been a cooling off demand for products just because of the general economy has slowed down. And so yeah, there is certainly uncertainty in the tech marketplace, but we're definitely in a period of adjustment, I would say, where tech companies in particular have to work harder to make sure that their products really matter and solve pain points in the market. But there will be a turnaround and there'll probably be some new things that are uh, interesting as we're turning things around. So right now, for example, generative AI and all the chat GPT stuff is uh, really exciting for people. And there are new investments going into that space. There will be new ideas and new technologies that make people excited and interested as we're kind of coming out of this period of adjustment as well. Yeah, the chat GBT stuff is just absolutely amazing. Do you have any fun example? You played around with it much? Definitely been very impressed by some of the uh, answers. I have to say that at Carbon Check, we've been able to learn about our own business questions that we didn't know about by asking chat GPT for the answers. Now, are those answers correct and accurate? Well, we do have to fact check that because it's based off of a ton of information that is both accurate and inaccurate, but it's really given us a leg up in terms of learning about things that would have taken us a lot more time to research on our own. So it's been very impressive and we continue to use it and see how it turns out. Any examples that you'd be open to sharing? Well, you know, recently we have been talking to some people in the transportation industry and in every industry, there's some specific kinds of background checks that need to get run. And we didn't yep. necessarily know a lot about that industry yet. We had dabbled in it before, but just to find out some answers to some of the industry specific concepts and organizations that we can deal with as a background check company was very uh, useful. To well, that's cool. ChatGPT. I've actually started supplementing my Google search with ChatGPT in a fairly meaningful way. And I think sometimes it has the most brilliant answer where I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I needed. And I have confidence that it's right. And then every now that I've asked it things that I also know the answer to, and occasionally it comes back with something that's absolutely ludicrous. And that's the concern I have with it is I'm like, all right, well, it writes with such confidence that you believe it. And that's scary to think about what that means for the future state of understanding what's real and what's not. I mean, today you get a Google result back with a thousand pages to browse through and you're probably going to make it through three to five, but you understand Google's not telling you this is the answer. Google's saying, here's a series of what probably is the answer. And now ChatGPT, it feels like it's, here's the answer. And it's kind of uh, interesting to know there should be like a confidence level tied to it or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think the work for people who are involved in, those kinds of technologies is really improving the accuracy of the answers that it can generate so that you can trust the information more. ChatGPT relies on both the accurate information as well as the inaccurate information. And so yep. sometimes it's hard to tell 
whether the answer that it's giving you is actually correct or not. Yeah, one use case I found that's been pretty consistently valuable is just saying, summarize this, turn this into bullets, shorten it, but basically taking content you've written that you want it to adjust. And that's uh, kind of fun to watch it do its work. So sounds like you're using ChatGPT for research purposes. Any other kind of major trends in the tech space or anything that you see that's going to impact your business or the staffing industry? We see continuing need and opportunity around automation. And that is not only to rely on to help make processes more efficient, but also I believe it's going to help contribute to this idea of a quality candidate experience. That is when you can deal with lots and lots of candidates who have maybe their particular concerns and interests and dealing with them at scale. That's where technology, especially sort of well-developed technology can come in and play a role, frankly. Yeah, it's been incredible to watch the adoption of automation tools within the staffing space over the last five to 10 years and just to see it escalating and also paying dividends for those that are adopting it earlier on. With that, you probably have some more insights that I noticed you guys had released a state of hiring and recruiting report recently. What are some of the key insights that have come out of that report? Well, yeah, we recently did a report with some other companies that participated. We found some you know, really interesting you know, trends. One is that in general, there's definitely a general interest around adopting more technology as we're moving into a world where the pace of hiring is increasing and where the, the pace of, let's say, contingent workforces is increasing. You know, people are getting to shorter and shorter assignments, basically, and placements. And so they're getting placed more often. But we're seeing the same kind of trends happening again and again, which is we are in a period where talent is generally hard to come by. And so the cost of acquiring that talent is something to be considered. And we found that a lot of you know human resources teams, talent acquisition leaders, 51% of them have spent more than they thought they would in terms of acquiring talent. Yeah. And so that's really something to watch out for. There's also not getting the right talent, particularly in the staffing industry. Getting the right talent is so important because it means so much to the top line and the bottom line of the business. And so not being able to do that by not being able to attract the right candidates or key candidates has been really a challenge as well. Yeah, I think I saw a stat on the, you mentioned the hiring, people spending more on hiring than they anticipated, that the cost per application, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like went up like 40% year over year, or it was the spend on Indeed and job boards went up at 40%. The number of applications went up 3%. <laughs> so it's like, so basically not quite aligned there. Do you have any recommendations for people that are listening to this in terms of how they could improve their hiring and recruiting process? Well, I think very important to not only make things efficient, we've talked a lot about that during this time, but I think there is something about creating an experience where it's convenient and fast for the candidate to deal with whatever onboarding recruiting processes there may be. And so the candidate often is interested to get an opportunity, get to their first paycheck and get through it. And so to the extent that that experience can really be a pleasant one, it's usually one of the first touch points with that organization. That's really important for candidates to uh, be provided with that. Do you have any research or data to back up like that specific aspect of the experience? And like, does it impact the net promoter score? Do you know anything about like drop-off rates or changes in terms of what it looks like using a simpler background check versus uh, other options? Yeah, I mean, thanks for prompting that question. Uh, <laughs> in our industry with background checks, drop-offs are definitely one of the challenges, right? If you have a 
you know, it's fair to say that nobody enjoys doing a background check. It's sort of a necessary evil. And so part of the onboarding process usually suffers from pretty significant drop-offs. And one of the things that our company has been able to do is to really significantly reduce that. Again, going back to the cost of acquiring a candidate, all that effort, all that money spent on finding the right candidate, it goes to waste if you can't get them to get past. Like um, the next step. Yeah, exactly. And so we've been able to really put a significant dent in reducing drop-offs, which is really important for the rest of the process around recruitment and onboarding. That's great. And um, I know we've talked a lot about the kind of the background check side of things, but kind of where do you see the future of background checks going? I think there's something to be said about just making them more persistent, more reusable. So the idea that checks that have been done before don't have to be done again, allowing the candidate to have a wallet of that information where they can share it at will in the ways that they want to. I think that's a very powerful idea. And so I think that actually creates wins not only for the candidate, but also for the employers as well. You know, we definitely hope to move towards a more efficient way of doing background checks. And I don't see any downsides to that, honestly. The drudgery of going through that every time for a new placement is something that candidates would rather avoid if they can. It makes sense on the background check for employment. And all I can think about is uh, I just went to the doctor the other day, a new doctor, and I was like, we need that in healthcare <laughs> so badly as well. It's like, what, how are we repeating this on a piece of paper every time we go into a new place? In so, a lot of places, yes. Yeah, yes. that's really great. With that, I'm going to jump into the speed questions here and get a little bit personal. So what advice do you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry? It's definitely a people business, right? And so get ready to you know build relationships and take care of your customers and do that really well. I've always been a believer in that, but good to have that as a piece of advice for anybody entering the people business. Absolutely. And in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I think I've learned to not read emails right before I go to sleep uh, and just uh, turn off my mind and try to do something enjoyable. That's helped me to sleep better and to be more productive the next day. And I can't tell you what a difference that's made in terms of my productivity. So getting off of email at the right time of the day. That makes complete sense. I've recently tried to stop the start of the day from being email. <laughs> like, like <laughs> at least give a buffer. Don't do it in bed. <laughs> exactly. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, et cetera. Uh, yeah. So I really believe that as an entrepreneur, it's very demanding professionally, but it's really important to take care of your mental well-being and to really not burn yourself out or burn your candle at both ends or three ends, however many ends there are to the candle. And to just to try to strike some kind of productive balance between those two. And so if you're able to do that, you're actually going to become a more productive entrepreneur. So that's how I've tried to live my life in the last uh, few years. That's great. I've definitely struggled with that over the years with the entrepreneurship as well. What um, is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? There's one called uh, Built to Last that I'm a big fan of. really talks about kind of the philosophy around how you build very successful companies and talks a lot about things that you wouldn't ordinarily pay attention to. Things like culture and values and BHAGs, Big Harry, Audacious yeah. Goals. Those are all great concepts. So it's a bit of a dated book now. It's written in the modern era, but I find that a lot of the concepts are still very relevant for today. Awesome. And how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? 
Well, you'd certainly learn more from your failures than your successes. And I think it's important to think about those failures that have occurred. I think for me, one of the failures and I guess, you know, my first startup is really understand the importance of who you hire into the organization and, you know, making sure that when you hire people, they're not only capable of doing the job that you're asking them, but they also have kind of the right mindset for being in whatever environment that is, including being in a startup environment. And so it's really important to make sure that everybody has the right alignment and that's going to just prevent a lot of the possible issues and conflicts that come up as you're trying to execute. After all, the war should not be inside your company because you're all fighting the battle of making it outside, you know, in the world there. So I think that's uh, something that I've tried to improve upon with every company and business that I've become a part of. So really identifying alignment with mindset as well as skill set and making sure that you're getting the right people. And that's great advice. And last question uh, is, what is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? (laughs) You know, I like swimming a lot. So, you know, going back to this kind of mental well-being, exercising really helps you to clear your mind and get ready for the next day, even if your main focus is improving your business. So uh, I try to take some time off and do some exercise and be mentally ready for the next day. Next challenge. That's uh, great advice. And uh, with that, any closing comments that you have for our audience? There's a lot of opportunities, I think, for using technology in the staffing world. And we're very excited to be part of that solution. Eric, really nice having you on today. Uh, Enjoyed the conversation very much and I appreciate all of your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise, David. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.